Hello and welcome to the Succession Easters. The Succession Easters! <laughs> What's good? A weekly podcast <laughs> recapping and discussing the award-winning HBO TV show Succession. I'm Mike Munzer, a producer, podcaster, and a Succession obsessive in mourning. And I'm Anna Bogutska, a writer, podcaster, Succession superfan, and number one fan of Siobhan Roy. Mm. And on this podcast, we've been taking you through the highs and lows of the Roy family saga every single week as we've been recapping every episode of Succession's fourth and final season, which has been airing on HBO in the US and Sky and Now TV in the UK. And this week, we'll be diving into season four, episode 10, aka the season finale, aka the series finale with open eyes. I'm good for this company. I'm, I'm, I'm good for us. You know, we all vote. We keep control. We don't. Then everything's over forever. Uh-huh. Here's the thing. I am like a cog built to fit only one machine. If you don't let me do this, I mean, it, it, it's the one thing I know how to do. Well, it's not all about you. I know. Yeah, you are not the most important one. I, I, I don't think I am. Yes, you do. You do. You do. You fucking do. You do. But, Shiv, honestly, it's so fucking crazy not to just let me now i mean it, it, it it's it's stupid we we all get something here i mean you're voting against yourself you realize that? Uh, mm. shiv mm. shiv listen please i beg you listen i can do this i don't think you'd be good at it what i don't i don't even believe you i don't believe you i don't i don't think that you would be good at this. For fuck's sake, Shiv! Anna, this is exciting, because for people listening to this on a podcast feed, we're also currently live streaming, right? So we've got people watching us, and I love it, because since we did our little intro, people have been shouting the succession easters in all caps at us in the comments so this is nice <laughs> i love it i think the main reason why we wanted to do a live stream a version of this final episode is so that people could see that i do actually put my life at risk every single time we record to yell <laughs> the succession easters so good the bane of my downstairs neighbor but also <laughs> fuck him uh, this is worth it there are a lot of times as well when i've genuinely thought anna was just going to go flying backwards like she would just disappear <laughs> off screen at some point um anna we've got so much to cover right but i feel like mm-hmm. i want to start by just asking you a bit about what it was like for you watching this finale because you went to the bfi and watched it with an audience right yes so let me picture a picture in case anybody does not live in london or wasn't aware that this was happening the bfi put on a live event a live stream of the finale of Succession. So starting at 2 a.m., which is the time that it was airing in the U.S. And it sold out in three minutes. It was the biggest screen at the BFI South Bank in London, which is 450 seats. And, you know, the only thing that people needed to know was that it was streaming Succession live on the big screen. There was also extra activity like, you know, Jesse Armstrong was there. All the writers, well, most of the writers, the ones based in the UK were attending. It was hosted by uh, the other 
succession podcast what from the uk i know <laughs> disgusting it's unbelievable disgusting. our invite got lost in the post clearly right i almost yelled out justice for the successionistas but then i thought <laughs> i do not need to be that person and somebody else should do that imagine after all that waiting as well if you were then kicked out anna just before this the episode aired <laughs> but i burned the whole fucking building down like mike don't test me yes. seriously no it was actually very fortuitous because i'd seen the first two episodes of the third season when they screened the DLFF a few years ago and obviously I could not get tickets mm-hmm. for this they, I'm, I wasn't a member they sold out so quickly and I am endlessly and eternally grateful for a listener of this podcast who reached out and couldn't go anymore and sold me their tickets so I was able to attend mainly thanks to that's amazing this show. that's amazing well and because I went to the South Bank earlier that day it was nice and sunny and I, w- I walked through the BFI and I noticed this was at about 12 o'clock midday and there was already people sitting queuing in the standby queue mm-hmm. for the succession finale and that was what 12 hours early people were already ready and queuing so yeah it was clearly it. this means a lot to a lot of people you know doesn't it there so. was something really discombobulating about a heading towards an event at like 11 p.m at night and i downed an espresso before leaving the house i got an espresso martini while i was there and i also <laughs> had a water bottle full of pre-workout which is basically pure caffeine oh, wow. plus a little bit of extra stuff in there and i was like i need to i need to be awake because frankly i cannot stay awake past 11 p.m no it's like but literally i would also be panicking about my bladder as well during the episode with that many drinks anna did that not did that not worry you that you might have to duck out in a crucial moment well i am a very stoic individual uh and i have a very stoic bladder so i did <laughs> massively need to pee throughout the entire episode but I was like there's no fucking way I'm getting up it's just not happening it's not an option so since it's not an option forget about Mm -hmm. it I would Mm -hmm. there's no way I would have a like missed a second of the episode and be this I was in the middle of a row disrupted like 10 different people be like oh sorry I miscalculated my espressos (laughs) yeah no yeah it's not happening no and it was frankly amazing it was obviously full to the brim you know like 400 people there and it was a vibe like people were there they were excited they were reacting to everything they were laughing they were gasping they were yelling at the screen i definitely yelled fuck you greg several times <laughs> in key moments and so did kind of other people around me and it felt you know what it genuinely felt not to get to earnest too early but it felt genuinely very special that the writers and jesse were there to listen and experience people watching their show yeah because they imagine like usually we watch tv individually right we watch it at home we watch it alone maybe with our partners or our families and stuff but it's it's a home affair mm. so there is something really exhilarating about watching it with an audience especially something like succession that's managed to just really penetrate pop culture in such an incredible way mm-hmm. and like it was a buzz there was like several standing ovations it was oh. like, it was a whole thing i'm so glad i got to go 
Oh my God, this is so exciting. I love it. And did they do any kind of, I guess it was so late, right? But I was going to say, did Jesse Armstrong do any kind of Q&A type thing after the episode as well? Or So you didn't do anything after the episode. Mm. There was a prolonged kind of pre-show before the actual screening. So at about midnight, the hosts of Firecrotch and Normcore, um, who were the hosts of the evening, kind of took to the stage and first they did a little, a little game uh, with the audience and then they had Jesse Armstrong on stage to do a sort of a, a fun type of Q&A then they invited all, most of the writers everyone who was in the audience so there was like 10 people on stage at one point um, to talk about their work on the show and that was uh, kind of really phenomenally awkward in a great way <laughs> yep. because yep. first of all it is very difficult to handle like 10-12 people on stage mm-hmm. Be, they obviously couldn't say anything about the episode we were all about to see mm. uh, it was like a very fun way to bide our time before we needed to begin with the screening itself and also because like writers are not necessarily the on-stage people so they were all a bit like you know talking about their lunches and their day and jesse armstrong is very into soup for lunch so that was (laughs) brilliant a fact i did not expect to learn about him okay okay good for him um mike in the comments said were there ad breaks during this or was it like watching no okay okay yeah there was no ads it was like watching a film and obviously you know watching in the in the nft1 screen huge beautiful screen uh with amazing sound mm-hmm. yeah it was like a completely ad free oh, wow this is incredible well i had a very different experience to that very glamorous when exciting evening it? actually we got this comment here from tommy c who said did anyone else watch it as soon as you woke up i watched it in bed with multiple cups of tea that is basically what i did so i woke up <laughs> at about seven thirty this morning i did not even look at my phone i went downstairs went to the kitchen made a cup of tea fed the rabbits and then went immediately to my living room sat with a cup of tea under a blanket and watched it because I was like I can't I can't I can't go through my day or through the morning you know not having seen it and and, no. and knowing that social media is going to be absolutely buzzing with it so I I literally had to wake up and make it be the first thing I did of today so that was quite yeah, a strange a quite a strange experience I was also a little bit sleepy but coming at it from the other direction you know um mm. and just sat there for like two hours just like oh my god you know first thing in the morning yeah yeah the the internet was feral after the screening I mean I was online as soon as the episode ended and it was like spoiler central so yeah. if you had and seen it you simply could not go online at all because yeah. everyone was posting things they were posting about Tom they were posting about Shiv mm-hmm. about Matson, about Kendall everything so it, you just had to avoid the internet altogether unbelievable that's wow. the only way for it uh, Evie in the comments said 5am for me that was when she watched it holy crap that's that is dedication yeah. right that's... that's when I went to sleep Evie Oof. yeah Oof. and it's like it's been I don't know what the curse of this is the last two episodes we've recorded so episode 9 when I was in Cannes <laughs> and this one today I've been so extremely sleep deprived yeah. that I've been like this is not this is not optimal time for me no, I need no, to go to sleep no, I know please tell me you've got a slightly quieter week this week Anna I've no idea what day it is I think it's I think I believe it is Tuesday <laughs> I am told there's some sort of bank holiday thing happening I don't know if that's next Monday or this Monday that's where I am emotionally wow <laughs> that's wow. where I am time wise okay okay so I'll do my very best I'm just living in succession world right now so I don't think I can answer any questions that are not succession related absolutely absolutely um, so I need to I need to get this out of my system mate well but before we get into it though yeah 
tell me, you know, we had very different experiences watching it. Um, yeah. Solitary yeah. versus communal. But what <laughs> was your overall takeaway from it? Kind of what did you what did you feel like watching it? I felt everything i think this is what was brilliant about this piece of television which we will talk about but it really was like a film right it was about 90 mm. minutes and there were moments of this it get i feel like for me i i loved it i think it is up there for me in one of the great television finales because it felt exactly like everything i want from a succession episode right it gave mm. me we flew off to glamorous locations we had brilliant comedy we had this kind of real joyous moment in the middle with the siblings actually getting on then of course you get all of the tragedy and the fights and you know amazing moments with Tom and Greg and you know moments with Caroline and like you know everyone felt like they got a little moment to shine in this as well and as well as being this kind of monumental episode that rounded off this story it also just felt like just another episode of Succession too really right like it it wasn't doing anything so crazy like you get some TV Mm. shows that are like oh we're gonna jump forward to 20 years in the future or anything like that like it wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary it was just another really brilliant episode of succession for me so i loved it and and i didn't even though it and we'll talk about this as we go i'm sure it doesn't necessarily wrap up every plot thread that that was you know dangling throughout these four seasons but it didn't matter it still felt to me like this was the perfect ending to the story of these three siblings so yeah i mean like you'd laugh cry everything right what an what an episode of television i think you're very right in that it felt like the perfect ending mainly because this is the end of this story the story is the story of the succession of logan Rourke, right yeah and it is decided and that is all yeah. And we, we get like only a, f- th- a few throwaway scenes with each of the, the siblings mm-hmm. after the papers are signed and Waster is no longer uh, the Roy family business. Mm-hmm. And that is all. And, you know, I've, I've read, I've been reading kind of articles and thing pieces and reviews of the finale and succession as a whole and different characters most of the day. And there's been some grumblings about, you know, oh, should they have gone on for more? Do we need more about what happens to the characters afterwards? Do we need more closure with some of the with some of the characters? More information about how this deal will change their lives? I'm like, no, because no. that is another story. The story mm-hmm. of Succession is the succession. And it has happened. It is signed off. It is finalized. We're done. Exactly. Exactly. Like, it felt exactly the ending that mm-hmm. and it really feels like this show felt like an uncompromised Jesse Armstrong vision like it kind of feels like this is exactly how he wanted to end this story he was telling you know so I, mm-hmm. I was so grateful for that so we should say obviously hopefully if you're listening to this and watching along we're going to say we are going to spoil the finale right um, and you know Please. usually I would start with like a little brief plot synopsis and in some ways it's fairly simple right this is mm-hmm. just this is basically the day of and the day before the board meeting where the board will finally decide will they sell Waystar Royco to Matson or will they not and obviously the, the first act of this episode kind of is Ken versus Shiv right Ken yes. obviously doesn't want to sell wants to ruin the deal so that he can remain king of the castle CEO of Waystar Shiv wants it to go through because she thinks if Matson buys them he's going to make her CEO. So you've got these two opposite ends rounding up people and trying to get votes on different sides. Roman is kind of caught in the middle and in a very bad place. Then kind of it all goes to shit midway through where Shiv finds out 
oh, she's not going to be made CEO if Lucas uh, buys them. He's actually been fucking her over this whole time. She switches her allegiances, as she loves to do, joins Kendall. We get this blissful middle act where for a moment, for one night, these three siblings are having the time of their lives. They're getting on well. They give Kendall their blessing to make him, you know, the king. And they all actually seem quite happy about it, right? And then, of course, the next day, the board meeting happens. Shiv changes her mind again in a shock twist. And I can't wait to discuss that moment. Shiv decides she doesn't want this deal to... uh, She doesn't want Kendall to ruin the deal. And she doesn't want him to be the boss. And it creates this almighty row, this fight, or basically a physical fight Mm -hmm. in the middle of the office between these three siblings. Lucas buys Waystar, they lose, they go off to lead their sad lives outside of Waystar Royco, right? And Tom Womscams is made CEO. And that is kind of how it how it ends, right? It's uh pretty amazing. And we made predictions, Anna, the other we day. Did. Um and I would say we got a few things right, but we also probably got quite a lot wrong, didn't we? I yeah, think. which which is inevitable. You know, yeah. same as when we did the Scream podcast, we got some things very right and some yep. things very wrong. I, I don't think either of us thought Tom Womscams was going to be no. CEO, right? That's, we really yeah. got seduced by the Greg a CEO um, mm. idea. Although there was someone on TikTok, a TikTok that went viral uh, just before the finale aired about Tom ending up on with the top job because the clue being in his names because it was a reference to an obscure baseball player from yes. the 1930s yes. or something. Who like wiped out three oppositions, yeah. like a triple yeah. wipeout or something they called it. I can't remember what it was. It's something American. But yeah, I heard about that as well, which is amazing. I love that prediction. I know, and, and really it made complete sense. I mean, on the one hand, I'm personally very happy that Greg got bitch slapped in this episode and did not get yeah. uh, the CEO job and probably will get demoted and will be Tom's uh, slave for the rest of his life. Yeah, and he's <laughs> probably going to have his, his salary significantly dropped dropped yes. from 200 he was on 200k don't, as an assistant don't, Anna. <laughs> don't. i've been an assistant no, that, no. I, not even not even a single digit <laughs> yes, of, of exactly. that salary wasn't my assistant salary or any oh. assistant salaries i oh my god the way i scoffed very audibly when that when that number was thrown out i was like that is, the, that is the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. Yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable. So yeah, like this is this was this was an unexpected kind of fun little twist, really. Not even a twist, but it was just something that we hadn't considered that Tom would end up this kind of slimy guy that kind of, as we've said over and over again, week after week, he kind of keeps on surviving like a cockroach, right? Yeah, Tom? And, and we uh, should have predicted that because yeah. it's been obvious and it's been in plain sight the entire series. And I've read that Jesse Armstrong kind of always had it pretty pretty early on that Tom would end up prevailing over them. And, you know, and we can talk more about actually the details of why and how he was picked over, you know, other characters. And we didn't actually see anyone else be interviewed, but even and it's again him versus Shiv. Yes. And that's been a conversation that they've had between each other about kind of him using Shiv to propel him into bigger and more important roles at Waystar, elevating his position with Logan. And even, you know, when she gets offered the the big gig in season two, he's like, oh, but I thought I thought we were working on this for me, not mm. for you. 
you know, mm-hmm. we sh- we should have we should have seen this, but this is Tom's superpower. He just makes himself less noticeable, and then he gets away with murder. Yeah. Yeah, and then he sneakily rises to the top with Greg at his side as well. So we've got these two outsiders. They've been the two outsiders from the start, right? The two non-Roys mm-hmm. that are really part of this core cast. Well, Greg is technically a Roy. Oh, that's true. I suppose he is He's technically. a cousin. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But these two outsiders from the main family have ended up being the ones that have stuck around mm. in Waystar, basically. Mm. So it's interesting. Um, where do we begin, <gasps> Anna? <laughs> so... I've been wondering this. Should we start with... Should we start with Kendall? Mainly because we we bookend the episode with him. We start with him. He's on an all-time high. He's like, I'm going to be the new CEO. Mm. I've got everything in my power. Uh, you know, he needs to find Roman. Roman's MIA after the events of, of the last episode. But he just struts into the office. He's like, no, we have the votes. Everybody, including Tally... Tally Jelly Belly is back. Mm-hmm. Good for him. He's getting that sweet, sweet commish. <laughs> so uh, he's back to just tell him, actually, no, you don't have the votes. You're not going to get it. This is a futile exercise. But Kendall, in, Kendall has a really particular way of absorbing the world where he refuses to see or hear anything that does not feed into his own vision of himself and what he what he wants to be. Not what he is Uh, so he's like no we got it we got it we got it you don't got it um Mm -hmm. and what i found you know really i mean just again an impeccable performance from kendall but this is the episode where i think out of the entire series kendall's primal wound is exposed in a big bad way Mm. and he both becomes his father and categorically shows that he will never be his father and that especially towards the in the very in the third act in that last scene where you know they're having that horrible physical fight in the boardroom and he's screaming and he's fighting and he's physically assaulting roman as well and tries to uh hit shiv too mm. he is he screams this thing right which i think is the the this is a skeleton key to for the character of Kendall Roy, in my opinion. He says, he promised this to me when I was seven. Yeah. He took me to his side and he told me this would be mine. Mm-hmm. And Kendall has never let that go. Yeah. He is latched onto this, pro- like probably like a quite generous and a hopeful promise. Logan probably thought that he was bringing up a new mini Logan. You know, he gave him Kendall's middle name is Logan. He's Kendall Logan Roy. He thought he was molding his kid, his second eldest son to be in the image of himself. And instead he gets this like, you know, not the shark that he wanted to. Kendall is a weak man Mm. who refuses to accept that he's weak. And, you know, he might not be by others' estimations, but he definitely is by his father's. So this promise that Logan has broken over and over again and that nobody gives a shit about except Kendall is so exposed in this episode and Shiv laughs at him. And that is devastating. Yeah. And then he gets cut down in that one scene several times. There is nothing else he wants or needs in life. He is a cog built to fit only one machine. And if he does not get this job, he might die. He really, that comes from like a core 
part of his soul. And especially when Roman throws off the whole thing of your children, you're not the bloodline, your children are not your children, you don't have children. There is there is a ferocity that comes across his face, which is just like you can't you're taking away everything about me. Yeah. You can't you're you're absolutely decimating him as a human being. And it's 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 really scary to watch. It's like that scene in particular, you see Kendall really shed any semblance of humanity. Like he is just he is a monster, but in a very different way from his dad. He yeah. doesn't have that vim. He doesn't have that ferocity. That ferocity is dark, but mm. it's not industrious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he. It, it, what an incredible episode for Kendall. And you know, it really did feel like, as much as it kind of brought all three of these siblings' arcs to an end, it really kind of felt like it solidified this idea that this this story has kind of almost been about Kendall from beginning to end, right? We kind of begin and end on Kendall in this episode. And you're right, I think that little insight into he promised me this when I was seven years old means that basically his head has been, like he has made that his entire personality, his whole life. He has been, all he's ever known that he's wanted since he was seven years old was to become his Mm. dad. He doesn't Mm. understand how to live in this world not doing that. And Mm And he does, you know, I think there's interesting things that he does in this episode where he kind of has this perspective too, where he talks about the job is awful and it will destroy you and it will kill you when he's trying to dissuade Roman from taking it, right? And Mm -hmm. he sort of knows that it's bad for him, but he can't not do it. It's like Mm -hmm. like, like you said, that amazing quote about I only fit one machine i am a cog that fits one machine and he can't see anything beyond that so you get these incredible highs and lows in this episode where it's in the first act kendall as that corporate fuck boy being like i've got to round up the board and let's talk to stewie and you know doing all of that stuff with his sunglasses on and his suit then you get to kendall on kind of cloud nine in the middle section when he finally gets happy his ken. happy ken which we never see he shows his teeth and everything and smiles right <laughs> when we get uh, when when he gets his siblings blessing to become the next ceo yes. and then that complete destruction of everything that is mm. ken in that final act when he and you know he's it's it, it is almost like i mean obviously kendall is a character that is uh, an, an addict and he talks about it like an addict i think particularly in that last act when he goes from extremely angry and violent to then just kind of whimpering and just saying please 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 let me have it and stuff you know and he is absolutely like and i think i'm probably not the only person that thought is he going to kill himself at the end of this episode as well like he you know that scene when he walks out defeated literally knowing that that's it for him he he will now never achieve that because they no longer own waystar the only reason yes. he was ever going to become a successful ceo or a ceo is was because, because of his birthright exactly and now yeah. he has no birthright and it's like he has and he looked like a man with nothing left to live for by the end of that episode basically and he doesn't and he doesn't and you know considering you know everything we just said we don't really get any more closure about his kids or rather but like, everything that the season has been telling us that that is those are also deeply fractured relationships so Mm. he has become the worst of his dad Mm -hmm. and with none of the 
the powerful or the best qualities of Logan Roy. Yeah. So, and the other thing that that is really brought back in that final argument is this idea of the no real person involved. Yeah. And that is a direct callback to when Logan tells that to Kendall several times over, which makes Ken see in that moment, oh, my dad is a monster. Like he is complicit in all the in all these crimes and all the corruption that has been going on in Cruises and at Waystar. Mm. He he has covered up my my terrible fatal mistake because it doesn't matter to him it's 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 not a real that waiter was not a real person all the people who suffered in cruises were not real people and here ken does the same thing you know it's like well that that murder didn't happen i didn't kill anyone you know i just made it it's like it wasn't real it wasn't real it didn't happen yeah that moment he's doing the same thing but obviously um Roman and Shiv aren't going to react in the way that he reacted. And it really, he is the biggest disappointment in a way Mm -hmm. because he is the worst elements of Logan and none of the, the enterprising ones. Yeah. And it's and ultimately that massive fall from Grace wasn't due to board members or Matson. It was Shiv betraying him, right? As well. Mm -hmm. It was, it was his own sister that caused this to happen. Betrayal. Well, I know. We'll talk about that. Exactly. We'll talk about that. We will talk about that. But uh, yeah, you know, again, her saying to him, I don't think you'd be very good at it. And she says, I love you, but I cannot stomach you. Right. And like it Mm -hmm. is, you know, the the truth bombs coming out in that conversation between them all as well. Which is kind of our relationship with Kendall as well. Like if we look at it kind of outside of all the memes and and the performance and the Jeremy Strong of it all, you know, it's like he is a fucking horrible person i can't stomach kendall as as a person but god damn it do i love watching him incredible you know so it's the same thing and and you know kind of going back to his final devastation you know there's a few people in the comments uh who are saying that you know they thought that when he was taking the lift he might be going up to the viewing platform again and i was thinking the exact same thing i was terrified at the signing Mm -hmm. because i genuinely thought oh we're about to see kendall's like body fall down behind yeah. them like this is this is it for him there is nothing else yeah you know he's got all the billions that he might ever need or want but he has no purpose his only purpose was to become the ceo of this one company and that is never going to happen mm-hmm. and it really reminded me well there's there's a lot of traces of the godfather and the godfather part two there's a lot Definitely. of that in in this episode in particular more than any other moment in succession there's a lot of fredo in both roman and kendall yep. you know the whole thing of you know like i'm the eldest son i, de- yeah. I deserve more respect the entitled I'm smart. brother yeah it, yeah absolutely, absolutely. yeah Ken- kendall is not smart <laughs> but there's there's also this like you know there's this thing of, uh, I don't know if you've ever read one of my favorite novels ever is Revolutionary Road. And one mm. of the most devastating elements of that book is uh, two people who realize very slowly that they are not ever going to have the talent to actually achieve the dreams that they had for themselves. And mm. in their case, you know, they wanted to be writers, or at least the kind of the male character wanted to be a writer. And the slow, excruciating realization that he will never be that, Mm. no matter how much he wants it, no matter how much he thinks that he deserves it, because he is simply not good enough. And Kendall realizing at the end of this episode that he's simply not ever going to have that and that he's never been good enough for it is 
horrific yes. to watch. It is it is genuinely like it's not it's not heartbreaking, but it's it's a different kind of devastation. It is. I completely agree with you. And again, it just kind of emphasizes how good this show is at making us care about these awful people. Because you're right. You really we can't none of us can stomach Kendall. He's awful. Right? Mm. But he is this like incredibly tragic figure with this really fucked up upbringing, right? As well, you know. And uh, and again, that kind of that idea of none of them being able to escape that trauma you know that cycle of abuse that their father put them in basically as well mm. it's it's so interesting and that 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 moment of happiness between them all in the middle here what an amazing sequence that was right when they all go to caroline's place and is it yeah. are they in the bahamas or somewhere like that i think like, they're in the bahamas yeah yeah um yeah. just like what a joy that was right to get to like to get to watch them just like play off each other when they're in the kitchen and they're doing the meal fit for a king and roman with the cheese and everything like it was so good that stuff wasn't it so much fun well the fact that that scene in the middle which by the way is like the longest chunk mm. of the episode mm-hmm. we spend so much time with them just hanging out yeah. and making jokes and having a nice time together and bonding that the the simplicity and the the placidness of that makes the stuff that follows so much more devastating because it was so good just to blink ago that yeah. the ending is you know is is horrifying doubly so because we've just seen them be so calm in each other's oh. presence and you know and, it's coming, right? Because you're like, oh, I'm only halfway into the runtime of this and they've already all decided that they're going to make friends and make him the yeah. CEO. Therefore, it's not going to end happily, right? It's like, nope. yeah. No, <laughs> any time that they, you know, they're actually, you know, coming to an agreement between each other, you know, it's going to end really badly. Yeah. And yet someone, uh, NASA pointed out there's a Bar- Barbados, not the Bahamas. Ah, okay, Thank yes, you. yes, yes, Barbados. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, um, but I love that. I love that we get we got to do a bit of jet setting to some cool locations in this episode as well. You're like it wasn't entirely yes. in that boardroom, you know. Um, it was nice. Again, you kind of felt like you got the best of so much of succession in this episode. Yeah, and, and we got to see them all in in shorts, you know, in uh, casual wear, which they don't really yeah. do. I yeah. was worried about sharks at one point, Anna. I was worried that uh, I was like, "Is Kendall going to get eaten by a shark?" After Roman brings up the whole shark thing before they go. Oh, I think that would have like, been oh, no. too goofy. But I, I think there's there's two things about Kendall that we can talk about without bringing in Roman. Mm. Um, that I genuinely oh, thought, God. and every uh, I've rewatched the episode this afternoon after watching it last night, and. It's it's one of the most confounding scenes for me, and I really wonder what you thought, what you made of it. You know the scene before they go into the board meeting where Roman is, you know, looking himself in the mirror, looking at his wounds on his yeah. head, and he's like, "Oh, I don't look so bad. It could have been me. Why isn't it me? It could have been me, right? It should have been me. Maybe it could have been me." And he's kind of spiraling. He's just glimpsed Jerry. He's like, "Oh, I don't want to see anyone. I don't want anyone to see me," and. Kendall does this thing where he hugs him, he gives him a bear hug, and he forcibly keeps his head, forces it into his shoulder, deliberately kind of opening up his wound over his eyebrow again and making him bleed. Mm. And I've got, I really want to know what you think, because I'm not sure still what that scene means. No, I I really... um... I found that scene incredibly disturbing for so many reasons. Mm. And I think partly because I couldn't quite understand entirely what was going on here. It was almost like to me that 
because Roman gets very upset. He sees Jerry and he gets suddenly very upset. And he, he's looking at himself, like you said, and he's sort of saying, oh, it doesn't look that bad, the scar. But he mm. almost sounds more worried about the fact that it doesn't look bad. Like, it's almost yes. like, I don't know, it's almost like an ego thing maybe that if he's going to go into that boardroom and kind of concede that he's no longer the boss, he wants he wants it to look like he's been through more than he actually has. Like, it's almost like he... I almost was reading it as like, I don't look beaten up enough to walk into that mm-hmm. room and show my face because um, I'm going to look weak. And so mm-hmm. this thing that Ken does in response, this horrific, violent hug where he is like rupturing his stitches was like absolutely awful. But at the same time, I was like, did Roman kind of want that too? Because obviously, as we know, Roman has this kind of masochistic streak. And mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't think necessarily Roman was enjoying it in the moment. But also, I wonder if he did sort of want Kendall to do something like that. Because as much as Ken is also a monster, we've never really seen him until this episode be violent towards his siblings in fact he used to always jump into their defense right when logan was violent and that felt even at that point out of character for kendall but then it almost felt like is this this something that they kind of do is this something that kendall does to roman because sometimes he thinks roman needs it it's like the thing about locking him in the dog cage and making him eat dog food and he was like you wanted it like I don't know. I, I'm, I'm interested to hear what people um, so, in the comments think of this as well, because I, I'm, I'm sure there's like a million different ways to read that scene, but it was very troubling. <laughs> so there's a, there's a couple of interesting readings in the comments. So mm. Louisa says, Roman was physically hurt by his father before and has shown several times he sort of associates being hurt with love from dad, yes. which is a very good point because also Roman is the only one who we actually have canonically uh, been told by different characters that he was physically mm hit by his dad Mm -hmm. you know and there's a a moment where he gets hit so hard he gets slapped so hard one of his teeth falls out and Kendall as you rightly say has always jumped to his defense automatically Mm. so the fact that he's now physically hurting Roman is another one of these things where he has become his dad but the worst the worst variant of Logan. Yeah. And then Nassif says a, a, a different perspective, which is he did that to destroy Roman's confidence. If the cu- if the cut looked bad enough, Roman wasn't going to be able to try to be him. Mm-hmm. And I think I also thought that because I'm like, is he is he trying to belittle him and dominate him by physically hurting him and kind of, you know, diminishing his self his self-confidence? Uh, because he would instantly remind him of that that physical abuse that he would expect or receive from Logan. And at the same time, is he trying to make sure that Roman doesn't pipe up and goes against Kendall in the immediate, so like in the board meeting? He doesn't really want to hurt him, but he wants to keep him in his place yes. just for the duration of the vote. Yes, I think that's what it is, right? And probably all of these things can be true I I imagine right I think there's probably a little bit of all of that coming into it it's quite different to the next time when Kendall's violent towards Roman when he's actually Roman has wound him up to the point where he snaps right because he talks about your Mm -hmm. children aren't your children Mm. the bloodline and all that stuff and makes all those vile 
very horrible Roman comments, right? And uh, and that seemed much more like Kendall was then actually just snapping violently at him. Whereas that hug mm. was something different, wasn't it? And But it was very, yeah. very um, scary, threatening thing. This kind of like deadly hug, like you're mine now kind of a thing. Well, you know? it was a bear hug. Yeah. And actually, you know, someone who only goes by etc. said that it's a direct parallel to when Logan kisses Kendall after Kendall confesses to killing the waiter in series one. Yeah. He did the same kiss on the forehead, which is true. And it's like he you're mine now hug. kind of thing you know yeah. yeah yeah you're under my um control in a way like you'll do whatever i need you to do mm. and i do think like roman is a masochist mm-hmm. and you know it's it's never been kind of it's been always dealt with kind of really comedically but i think it's also leaning into that but you know that's not you know uh, not to get into the this side of things at all but you know that's not kind of consensual masochism that's like him hurting him as a way to control him and to destabilize him yeah i find that was but abuse, I thought it, right that was just abuse yeah yeah it i found it so chilling and also you know jumping ahead to the other physical altercation they have where roman is parroting the things that he's probably heard Logan say, you know, that he, that Kendall's kids are not his own, which we had never, it was implied because his kids are, are not white. And, it, but it was never, you know, he directly says one of them is a buy-in, which means like one of the kids is adopted and the uh, the other one is, uh, I guess, in, um, conceived via in vitro. So with a sperm donor. So he's like you, and he tells Ken point blank, you have no children. So there is, he's not continuing the bloodline, even though they have their name. And obviously, you know, it's his kids and he loves them. And Kendall throws also, he's like, you shut, like, he tells him something like, you shut your mouth, you fucking cuck. Yeah. So they're throwing this, like, terrible insults. And it's not, there's kind of masculinity in that scene. They're really going for, like, you're not man enough for our dead dad like their kind of daddy issues are really coming out and throwing and kind of cancelling each other out and the way that Ken grabs Roman's face and just wants to smother him Mm. is so it's genuinely chilling it is it is these kind of physical fights and then it kind of devolves into them sort of falling on the floor and rolling around and suddenly they seem a little bit more pathetic again don't they like suddenly it reminded me more of Tom and Greg's fight in the bathroom you know there were a lot of like physical altercations in this episode weren't there um and a lot of impressions did you notice i think somebody mentioned this in the comment but there were a lot of moments of people oh, doing yeah. impressions of each other in this episode yeah. as well, which i loved a lot of like british accents and them doing kendall at one point and you know well the best one was connor imitating doing the little teapot dance but in the vein of logan roy that was probably the best impression and genuinely i think that's probably i mean i have no way to confirm this but my gut instinct is that it comes from probably just the actors imitating each other on set and the writers bringing that into this final episode because it's sort of a little bit of levity in a really hard series and really hard episode yeah completely agree and i think you really got that feeling by this last episode that they all know each other so well this cast right like they really have like Mm. lived these characters for like five years um and i think yeah like you say those little impressions kind of really kind of 
I don't know, they really emphasised that kind of that journey that we've all been on with them, I think, you know, I loved it. I loved mm. it. Kendall did a great um, Caroline impression. I thought that was brilliant. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> and Roman did a great um, Peter impression with his special cheeses where he was like licking so the cheese. So it was beautiful. It's beautiful to behold. So should we talk and, about Roman? Because other than that yeah. moment he has with Kendall, like Roman is such a loose cannon in this episode in some ways, isn't he? And we, we said last week in our predictions because we kind of had a vague idea of where we thought Shiv and Kendall would go in this episode but Roman is such a wild card isn't he well we both were like we have no idea what kind of a place Roman will be in in this episode but what did you think of kind of where we find Roman at the beginning of this episode and where it goes well we kind of find him completely bereft you know the fact that the fact that Roman would go back to his mum's one of his mum's houses Mm -hmm in Barbados to be taken care of, even though she's not uh, a warm mother at all. She's not a nurturing parent. So it's like you're going to someone who you know cannot give you the protection and the nurture you need, but this is literally the only thing you have left. You know, he's he's sort of regressed. He needs to go and be with a parent. He's taken yeah. him, himself out of the, the corporate rat race for a moment. And he is... He's really fragile. You know, he winces at that word and hates it, but he very clearly is. Mm. And he is a lot more temperamental even than usual. You know, someone in the comments mentioned why does he react that way when he sees Jerry just kind of with her back turned in the in the Waystar offices. And it's because he's a raw nerve at this moment. And the fact that that was a relationship that was that they hurt each other mutually towards the end. You know, Jerry did not help him at the end of season uh, three and he fired Jerry really callously in season four and kind of felt like she wasn't respecting him enough. So they were butting heads. But that was, she was his only ally for a long time during the series. And kind of, there was obviously like a, a sexual, perhaps romantic interest to her. And Roman is, you know, we never quite, dive very deeply into his particular sexual hang-ups, but Jerry was probably the most um, functional sexual relationship he had, even though we've seen him with like several girlfriends who are more like friends than partners. And there is an, you know, and Jay Smith Cameron (laughs) tweeted that (laughs) a picture of Roman at the end with a martini and says, oh, my ex wants me back. And it's true. (laughs) Like that is the closest thing that he's had to like an actual romantic relationship. And like I think that set him off and it made him jittery and nervous and like looking at himself in the mirror and stuff. And I think it has less to do with corporate power dynamics and more with emotional um with emotional wounds. And you know, and then the end when Roman uh, kind of, you know, leaves everything. He signs away the company and he fucks off to a bar and he orders a martini. There's a little smile on his face. And frankly, I love that smile. It was very satisfying. And also a lot of people on Twitter picked this up. A martini is Jerry's cocktail of choice. So he's doing that thing. It's like he's even at the very last scene where we see Roman, he's thinking of Jerry. And frankly, isn't that fucking cute? I love that. And we get kind of, we get, again, Kieran Culkin, 
maybe has been a maybe has been the standout for me this season I think but like again we get so many shades of the best and worst of Roman in this episode right he's such a strange complicated person we see that kind of victimized masochistic Ken um, Roman we see the nasty bullyish type of Roman you know we see the kind of mama's boy Roman like we and like it, again like Kieran Culkin just absolutely nails it from beginning to end doesn't he and I love that you know arguably roman maybe is the one that might be closest to some semblance of happiness at Mm -hmm. the end of this episode right definitely more than kendall and kind of undecided about shiv whether or not she has a happy ending or not i so agree i like i honestly they've all been exceptional they've always been exceptional but kieran culkin was doing something else this season and in the last couple of episodes in particular, in this one, there's so there is so much going on in his face. It is astounding. And even that little final smile and someone, Anasa, thank you, points out that, you know, for the first time in the whole series, Roman sits in a chair properly because he never sits yes. right. <laughs> but there is something about kind of closure. And I really wanted for this character to essentially like separate himself from his family because that is we like I mentioned we see Kendall's primal wound in this episode uh, about his dad's promise that will forever be unfulfilled now and we see Romans as well we see his kind of primal um, like missing piece and I think he there is kind of a a satisfactory ending for him because I don't think he thinks that he can ever kind of fully uh, fill that void but he can take himself outside of this race that simply does not give him anything. And, you know, it's interesting. Actually, I read an interview with Jesse Armstrong in Variety where he said that he thinks that Roman ends up exactly where he started, that he's still that guy, that he's like a playboy jerk with some, uh, quote, with some slightly nasty instincts and some quite funny jokes. He could have stayed in the, he could have stayed in that bar being that guy. And this has been a bit of a detour in his life, I would say. And, you know, these, these are his babies, but I kind of disagree. I kind of think that Roman is the one that mm. has been so wrung out emotionally yeah. that he now has a chance to actually sit still sit properly in a chair and kind of rebuild himself because he mm-hmm. never had that need that Ro- that Kendall has to be CEO. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think especially in season four or let's say from the end of season three to now, Roman has been on a massive mm-hmm. journey and taken some massive turns. And it, I think there's that feeling of resignation to what they are at the end, right? These three ridiculous not serious people and I think Roman realizes it at the end whereas Kendall never yeah. will realize it right you know there's that line he says he talks about the company so like it's bits of glue and broken shows phony news it's fucking nothing we're bullshit you're bullshit I'm bullshit it's fucking nothing yeah. we're nothing and I think it's that he definitely kind of can see more than his siblings can sometimes in terms of how ridiculous they are <laughs> as a unit right and mm. uh, yeah maybe that's and there's actually a line isn't there as well where Kendall sort of says to him about crying at the funeral he's like you're not a business psycho like me maybe you're actually more well adjusted than the rest of us kind of thing and it's like yeah it's, yeah uh, and there isn't there is an element as well of Roman about the the previous episode where he's like well I, I cried at my dad's funeral big whoop yes and it is like it is big whoop but also yeah. it 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 is kind of um 
it is a terminal thing in the world that they inhabit. You can't you can't be a person in the in this kind of high high corporate high stakes mm-hmm. environment. Yeah, no, totally. And I think like that, but I think all of those reasons mean that maybe now that he's out of it, he's going to find. I just I hope he's all right. I don't know why I hope he's all right because again he's not a nice best. person, but I sort of wish him the best. <laughs> well, he's he's definitely nicer than Kendall because even remember like he pulls him away when he goes for Shiv and he yells like he's fucking pregnant, you asshole! Like mm. Kendall would have easily like thrown Shiv to the floor or out the window if it meant that he could become CEO. I have absolutely zero doubt about that, and I think. Roman still has that, especially after the events of season three. I think there was mm. a dam that opened up in terms of the relationship between the Sibs, where Ro- Roman never closed that down again. He was always yeah. like, "No, we like if if we need to activate the siblings, we will. Like whatever yeah. corporate shindings we're up to, be damned. We will always, you know, do the jokes, give the support, be real mm-hmm. people with each other, if not with the rest of the world." Yeah. You're, you're so right about that. Um, so I wonder, should we talk about Shiv? Uh, this comment comes from um, Elsie, who says, I still feel there's something missing in explaining what made Shiv change her mind when it's time to vote. It feels like a very so sudden thoughts, change Elsie. of heart. There's so much to talk about with that moment with Shiv, right? But um, w- what about Shiv generally through this episode? Because again, like we've been talking about how incredible Sarah Snook's been throughout this season as well, right? And Shiv has had some brilliant moments, I think, in this mm-hmm. season particularly. Um, I found some of her arc in season three a bit frustrating because it was that constant kind of humiliation, right? And kind of, and I feel like this season, she's a little bit more on a kind of even keel with Kendall in terms of them two kind of going head to head, which I've quite enjoyed. But yeah, what did you think of Shiv and, and everything she goes through in this episode? So... So there's there's two things. Um, Shiv starts off really high and mighty, similar to Ken, as you mentioned at mm. the start of our recording. It's very much Shiv versus Kendall. Shiv is with Matson, yeah. and I think the same kind of institutional, unavoidable misogyny that plagued her throughout season three rears its head again in this situation, in this episode yeah. in particular. Precisely because at the very start of the episode when she's still in Matson's camp, we see this, you know, she's basically telling him what to do, like how many votes they have. And we see this glimpse of a magazine article where it's there's a, a caricature of her pulling the strings of a Matson-esque puppet. And Matson numerous times says, oh, you know, I thought it was funny. I don't mind. Lol, lol, lol. He fucking minds. Of course he fucking minds. And like, it's clear that this is the, you know, this caricature might not be the moment, but it might be the cincher of him deciding, actually, I don't want her to be in the CEO spot. Mm. And he's already interviewing other people in Shiv once again. Baby girl, why do you keep placing your trust in these people who are so obviously going to fuck you over? She is not, she's not, you know, as ambitious and self-serving as she can be, she keeps failing to serve her own interests, which is deeply frustrating. But, you know, she's basically Mm. given all this stuff to Madsen. She's proven and, you know, that she can advise him, that she can get him to where he needs to be. He's taken all that stuff from her and now decides to fuck her over. And mm. that relationship is central at the beginning of the episode. And then it all becomes about 
Shiv and her brothers. But in that mm. Matson dynamic, Shiv basically signs her own, um, you know, exit from Matson's yeah. new Waystar when she basically pitches Tom to him without realizing it. When she tells him, <laughs> oh yeah, Tom is fine. He's sort of, you know, he he's okay, but he's an interchangeable part and he will yeah. honestly just suck the biggest dick in the room. That's what Matson thinks of himself. He thinks he's the biggest dick in the room. And Shiv also thinks that she's the biggest dick in the room. And Matson's just not going to have that. It's not going to be like a dick measuring competition between the two of them for the rest of his reign. He's like, no, going to get rid of her and put in a meat puppet or a pain sponge, as he refers to yeah. Tom later, to just take the blows and let me do the actual business. And it is it is so devastating and so dumb that it happens to her again. But in fairness to her, she recuperates really quickly as soon as she realizes that she's been um, backstabbed again yeah. and very quickly shifts to supporting Ken because that is the only way that they can, um, you know, get the company back. But her ambivalence is there from the start. So, like, I wanted to ask you because you used this word earlier. Do you think... Shift pivoting several times throughout the episode from Madsen to Kendall and then from Kendall to back to Madsen. Do you see that as a betrayal? Uh, I guess, yeah. I think I do in, in, in what she does to Kendall at the end. I think, you know, that sort of is a betrayal, right? Be- because she sort of put her support in him and then changes at the very last minute. Um, but also... You kind of, I was kind of glad that it happened as well, for one thing, because I didn't actually want Ken to become the CEO. Um, and but, but I, I don't know what single thing, or maybe it's multiple things that actually triggered that betrayal or that turn, I suppose. Um, mm. because I don't think, I suppose, I don't think it's a betrayal in the way that I don't think she was pretending the whole time. I think when she gave mm-hmm. him her blessing the night before and they had that lovely evening together. I think she was genuine, but I think something yeah. changed her mind the next day at that board mm-hmm. meeting, right? And when she suddenly goes, I have to think, I have to think, I have to mm-hmm. leave. Mm-hmm. And then he comes and follows her into that room and is such a dick about it that it just makes her mind up even more. And she goes, no, you know. And uh, so I think, yeah, I guess I guess, I don't think it's a betrayal in that she was lying about it and plotting it the whole time, mm-hmm. but a betrayal in the way that, she was she had her brothers back until the very last minute and then decided she didn't i suppose <laughs> but yeah <laughs> i think there's two moments mm. that make her change her mind or at least like give her pause and doubt mm. and so i think there's she like the other thing we haven't mentioned and we've talked a lot about costumes as we've discussed the season mm. the moment where they get of the pj and they're all wearing black and they're color coordinated and they're mm. all on their phones it is like the corporate charlie's angels i loved it yep, it was yep, beautiful yep. to behold incredible yeah so i think i think there's two moments one when they go into logan's office and ken sits at the desk and he does like a little dancey dance where he's like oh should i you know is it a mad it's not a magic chair just sit down and he says he instantly becomes like too cocky for comfort. He puts his feet up on the desk. He's like mm. doing like all of this like business bullshit. And you can see Shift just go, yeah. excuse you? Yeah. And then the other big moment is when they get into the board meeting and Roman is, Kieran Culkin has this like, is a huge, you know, physical performer. 
And there's this thing, you know, when Roman is all peacocking, he moves very differently from when he is trying to make himself as physically small as possible, mm. of, you know, hiding. And, you know, and, the, and he does this thing that she picks up on where, A, his wound is bleeding and opened up and he's dabbing at it constantly. And then he's also just small, you know, he's not looking up. He's just saying, yeah, I vote, I vote for Ken. And Ken does, does this thing, which, by the way, his pitch to uh, not vote for Matson's deal is so bullshit, so lazy, <laughs> yeah. has done no work. He just comes in and be like, yeah, you should vote for me because, you know, because I'm Big Ken. I'm like, I'm L to the OG. I'm like, no, dude, if you're good, again, if you're going to attempt a coup, just do it better. Anyway, and she sees all that cockiness again, but then also she sees that something's happened. Something's happened with Roman and I think she recognizes that new violent streak in Ken. Mm. Bear in mind that they also know the murder that happened, in, you know, so she's also, that comes back. And I think that's the moment where the doubt is firmly planted in her head. And also, Shiv has never actually been given the power of decision until this moment. Nothing has ever come down to her. And there's this moment in season three where she throws a Tanti B and she's like, you know, when they're talking about electing the new president and she's like, no, my opinion matters more. This is the one scene where her opinion actually matters yeah. the most yeah. because she's got the final vote. And it's like, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Yeah. And there's this, you know, when she takes a beat and then they have that whole argument, um, that's the confirmation. He is a monster. He is like a violent person. He also doesn't see his violence as violence. It's like, you know, oh, no, I didn't do it. He will do whatever the fuck it takes. And she, it also feeds into her, her thing of, is she... And I've read several theories about this and I'm kind of ambivalent about my own position on this because I see three things happening at the same time with this decision to pivot against Kendall. On the one hand, is she protecting the bigger picture? You know, is she protecting the world in America from having a violent, monstrous new CEO in place who is such a massive narcissist? Um, is she protecting her brother from having this thing that he has always wanted that will make him even more horrible, that will just propel him to the depth of, you know, the, the, the darkest parts of his soul. Or a third option is, is she just taking revenge? About, is she just taking away the sweetie from the big brother who, would, who pushed her aside and grabbed the crown with his other brother, but not the girl? Or is there a fourth one, which is, is she doing it for Tom? Is she doing it to help Tom and therefore her own family's future too? Mm. Like, I wonder if mm. that, again, like that, I'm not sure if I believe that that's the reason either, but uh, there might be a bit of that too, right? That she, it it's kind of more, there's more in it for her if her husband becomes the CEO, right? Rather than Kendall. So that's kind yes. of interesting too. But I don't know yes. because Shiv is such a difficult one to read, I think, with those kinds of moments, particularly when it comes to Tom and how much she mm. actually cares and wants to help Tom versus couldn't give a fuck, basically, you know, uh, and that kind of like we got in the comments at the very beginning of this chat, like that an ambiguous hand-holding moment the last time we see Shiv and Tom, right, in that car. And he holds his, he offers his hand out to her and she sort of awkwardly places her hand in his hand, but it's not like a... It's not like a very nice, sweet moment. It's a very like, okay, we're doing this together now. And like, but they also 
don't can't really stand each other like it kind of felt like that to me in that moment you know so yeah it's uh it's a fascinating thing how did you find that how did you read that moment with Shiv and Tom well, at the end the thing is that I think that and Tom mentions this I think Shiv is finally in love I think she's finally in love with Tom. And I don't think she has been throughout the whole four seasons. Yeah. Um, you know, she's, to- she's told him, I was like, I love you, but I'm, I don't. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. And, and here, she, you know, she calls him up and she's like, you know, has it maybe been worth it? Have we genuinely seen each other? And can we, you know, would you be interested in a real relationship? You know, the the word real keeps com- coming back up over and over again. This is the defining kind of thing with the Roys. You know, are you a real person? Is this a real relationship? Is this real? Is this actually happening? Yeah. Can we have and a real conversation ar- as well? They say that a lot. Yeah. They? yeah. And one could argue that Shiv and Tom have not had a real relationship mm. until now. Mm-hmm. Until all the horrible, horrible stuff that they throw at each other. And the other thing is that the power imbalance between Shiv and Tom has always been in her favor but it's not anymore yeah yeah and that is new and that is weird and kind of off-putting and also kind of hot you know Mm -hmm. and kind of you know this is the one thing I think that we got right from our predictions you know this is Shiv's worst possible timeline this is Shiv becoming On the one hand, doing what she's always done best, which is being the the whisper in the ear of powerful men, of actually enacting change through, like, men puppets. Being the smarter person behind the powerful man, man, right? Exactly. She's always, you know, she's failed constantly when she's tried to put herself in the front line. But she's been pretty successful when she's been the advisor. Then on the other hand, she has become the wife. Yeah. She's now the wife of the CEO. She's not Shiv fucking Roy as she is in season one. She is Tom Wamskin's wife. Mm. And she's pregnant and she's the only girl. She's the only woman. And she is, you know, you know, I'm using air quotes here, kind of reduced to the womanly roles of the wife the mother and she's essentially a version of caroline as well she is the woman who doesn't a pregnant woman who doesn't really want to have children who is going to have children that she's probably going to emotionally neglect mm-hmm. for their entire lives and married to a corporate monster uh, and also the corporate monster as well is interesting right because actually it 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 is almost a bit of a win for Shiv in that she will be the smarter, more powerful one behind mm. the CEO, right? But then also Tom, this is follows on from what we were saying last week about this idea that becoming the CEO is not really a win in this world, right? No. You know, Tom is not really going to have a lot of power. He's going to be Lucas's, like, whipping boy, essentially, right? He's also Mm going to have probably Shiv telling him what to do most of the time. Lucas basically all but said in that quite, again, quite horrific conversation they have together where he talks about all that misogynistic stuff about how basically he's decided he doesn't want to promote Shiv because he wants to fuck her and that would be weird. Mm. And then when he mm. outright tells Tom, oh, I want to fuck Shiv. I think she might want to fuck me. We're clickety clickety and all this stuff. Tom just kind of has to listen to it and grin and bear it, right? And now Tom potentially has this lifetime of 
in being in this weird thruple essentially with Lucas mm. and Shiv, right? And will it actually be Shiv making the smart decisions behind the scenes? But he's going to be the front man, but Lucas is going to be running the show. And like, yeah, it's mm. like, it's not a good outcome. I don't think it's actually that good an outcome for Tom either, no. really, you know, this whole situation. No. <laughs> but this is, this is yeah. my question to you, Mike. Do you mm. think that Lucas actually wants to fuck Shiv? Or do you think that was a power play? to test whether Tom is enough of a puppet and a pain sponge for him to, like, maneuver in that CEO position. It's, do you know what? Because Alexander Skarsgård, again, has been incredible, right? And Lucas is a really hard character to read in that way. Like, is he a complete idiot? And does he just say things that come to his head and blurts things out and confesses stuff to people that you think, why are you telling people that? Or is everything he's doing thought through and is it a ploy or is it a play or is it a way to manipulate somebody and I can't quite make up my mind about that I tend to Mm, read him as just being a bit of a dope and him saying that stuff Mm. to Tom I think was probably true and but he's just so entitled and clueless that he doesn't care who he says and uh, what he says and to who you know um I think that's that's how I read it that he did genuinely want to fuck Shiv and he didn't have any mm. issue or hesitation with telling her husband that as well like just because mm. of the amount of power he has basically you know I don't know I I thought that in first watch but on second watch I think I'm more of the opinion that he doesn't actually want to sleep with Shiv I think he was testing Tom to see if he could stomach and still want the job because like if Tom had been like don't talk about my wife that way mm. then he would have been like oh well I guess I'll go to you know Lawrence yeah. from Volter to to run the company but this is like the ultimate thing of can I totally walk over this guy yeah. if I do this like if I say this girl's thing about his pregnant wife and he takes it and he agrees with me and he laughs at my jokes, then he'll probably just bend over for whatever I need or ask of him. Yeah. God, that moment as well when he says, if I could have anyone in the world, why don't I get the guy who put the baby inside her instead of the baby lady? It's like, fuck, absolutely. Lucas also absolute monster right an absolute monster it's so horrible i mean genuinely genuinely and also just how quickly he you know and he's like oh you know i needed maybe her political connections Mm. uh but then turns out that's easy so he'd like he sponged everything he could possibly use from shiv and now is the time to throw her aside because as he says he has plenty of people with ideas but he needs a the ceo is a front man pain sponge it's not a person with actual power it's mock power but tom maybe this is a good moment to move on to um tom Mm. tom ceo yeah is he is that he never actually like he will bend to whatever position whatever the position requires of him if it means a promotion more money more power you know he lays out his whole approach to that pretty clearly in this season He likes a nice life. He likes power. He likes money. He deeply cares about his career. I don't think he particularly cares about the job that he is doing, but it means more and he likes more. So, you know, similarly, like he doesn't share the ATN politics, but he couldn't give a shit because it's a nice, juicy role that puts him in the epicenter of powerful conversations and powerful decision making. He doesn't particularly want to make the decision, but he will do whatever it takes 
for the people who are actually making the decision. We, we saw a perfect example of that on election night. He was there kind of running the show and be like, yeah, I don't care who wins. You just you guys make the call and I'll put everything in action. So in a way, he is the perfect CEO because he's getting everything he ever wanted. He's getting power without actual power. And he's getting all the status and the peacocking around and the firing all the skulls and, you know, abusing Greg. Not enough. Fuck Greg. Um, Without actually having to, you know, build a company or be Logan Roy. He's just like, I'll just I'll just be there. Well, it's funny. Like Mike has just said in the comments, it's funny how we all said Greg you know was failing upwards forgetting that tom has done the same and it's true like tom is we saw not forgetting it yeah. tom taught greg everything he knows right. but tom is you know he isn't very good at anything he does he doesn't have any values he's we've seen him try and hold conversations with people like lucas and he's not particularly good at it he wasn't very good on election night he was freaking out he was doing coke he didn't know what to do until he was mm-hmm. given orders from above right mm-hmm. the only thing that tom is very good at is kind of sneaking around and knowing what to say to certain people and what to hold back. And he, you know, he made the smart move of not even giving Greg all the information, right? Because Greg can't be trusted. So he didn't even tell Greg, oh, I've just been offered CEO, right? Um, And then, of course, Greg goes running off to Kendall. So it's really, he's very good at that kind of stuff, at being sneaky, right? And getting what is best for him. But other than that, he knows nothing. It's amazing. Again, and it is exactly what we said when when we were making these predictions about Greg. And you were talking about that with Greg, about how he's the ultimate example of that guy, that entitled white guy that mm-hmm. just manages to keep climbing the ladder. And that is actually exactly what Tom has done. And it's amazing. And it's ridiculous because he's such a ridiculous human being. And yet it's also kind of believable, right? It's totally it's believable. Yeah. But also he yeah. is... He is a better weasel than Greg is, which is also what much better. Another reason why I just hate Greg is because, like, you know what? You're even terrible at being a goddamn snake. You're a, <laughs> yeah. you're a oh, failure terrible. of a snake. Um, well, I love the moment when Lucas called him Judas and yeah. the whole room laughed at him. I was like, good. Like, He's everyone so knows exactly well, who he is. Well, this is my point yeah. as well. It's like, Tom. Tom, why are you talking about anything with Greg in the room? Don't tell him anything. The fact that it's taken up to the finale for Tom to realize that Greg was running off to Kendall to tell him mm. any any little morsel of information that he heard. Oh, my God. And honestly, can we talk about the best scene in the whole episode, which is when <laughs> Tom gets Greg into this room oh. and just slaps him and they get into a physical so fight. It's so good. It's so good. In the bathroom, right? In the famous bathroom where Kendall has his little breakdowns and everything, right? Such a good moment, isn't it? And he, I love it later as well when he says to Greg, you're a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes, yes. He is yes. a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's called a spade so He's the worst piece of shit. You know why he's the worst? It's not because he's like l- more of a climber and a snake than Tom. It's because he's fucking terrible climber as well how far has he climbed he's the highest paid assistant in history that yeah. is all like if you're gonna climb climb like Wamscans. like become the ceo marry mm. the like the the one of the roy siblings like like tom would have probably married roman like if that was if that was yeah. the only option out of the you know eligible Roy siblings that he could wed. He would have he would have married Roman as well. Absolutely, like, that's how yeah. much of a committed snake he is, and he at yeah. least knows when to like 
keep information close to his chest and when not to and when to react in certain ways and when not to. The fact that he waits until he's crowned CEO to be like, fuck Carl, fuck... uh, um, oh yeah, Frank. So like, good. don't Frankie need Cole. those yeah. old people around me. It's like, yeah, he probably would have could have kicked off at them at Logan's funeral, but he didn't because he knew he was nice. not in a position of power at that moment. Absolutely, he knows exactly how to treat people and when, and he keeps Greg around because he likes having somebody to kick around as well. Yes. I mean, he's basically also like a school bully that bullies people that he knows he can get away with bullying. Essentially, right? It's like, yeah, Trishy has just said this in the comments. Like, Tom's low self esteem mm. bullying Greg makes him feel better it's true right like that is and i think he's really put greg in his place which is quite satisfying like i feel like greg is now going to be in a much more of a kind of greg position again (laughs) he's not going to be on the 200k salary he's back to greg tom's like look lucas wanted to get rid of you but i've got some capital i kept you around so he knows now that greg owes him everything basically and he can treat greg however the fuck he wants to the, and that amazing moment when he puts the oh sticker God, on the head yeah, oh several people perfection it was this. perfection it was so beautiful just I, that moment of being like i own you now yeah. right it, is, it was just perfect it was so yeah. so good yeah. i love it honestly i wish the worst for greg oh absolutely absolutely i hate him so well much. i'm glad that he didn't he didn't get a particularly happy ending which was great which was great so that was well deserved but yeah the the sticker on the head was was genius and a and a great callback to a, a little we get a little short se- sequence with connor right the great reallocation where with they're connor all and divvying yeah. up although connor has <laughs> already taken uh logan's medals his antique war medals pocketed Love those that. straight away Love that and Willow wants and that, everything that. gone so she can get in her cow print sofa. Amazing. Excellent. Amazing. And there's that, it's a really fun scene, that whole scene. There's a lot going on in that scene. And obviously there's that moment as well when they talk about how they're going to go long distance. They've got the two week itch already in their marriage, right? And uh, he might have to go to Slovenia if Menken wins the election. She's going to stay and do some writing, right? But then of course we get that little hint of like, oh, something's going on in court in Wisconsin. Maybe Menken isn't going to win the election after all, right? And then, like, Shiv's like, yeah, so you might get to stick together after all. Yeah, right? um, Willis' crestfallen face at that comment yeah. is like, oh, God, no. I thought I was just going to get away with having this incredible apartment in New York City and writing my little, you know, sans follow-up. Oh, God, it's so good. And then what did you think of that moment when they they watched the virtual dinner party with Logan as well? And we get a bit I of Brian. Beautiful. What a beautiful moment. Like really emotional yeah. that moment, wasn't it? It was great. I think it was I think it was you, Mike, who was kind of talking about, you know, are they gonna bring back Brian Cox for a little cameo or a flashback or something? And this was I thought this was a really beautiful way of bringing him back for a little moment. Also very Godfather-esque, yes. you know, like the ending of the first Godfather where we just see this sort of, you know, um, Wait, is it the first one or the second one? I think it might be the second one mm. where, you know, we just see this flashback to this um, dinner where oh, yeah. all the the, the um, children are kind of settling in and they're waiting for their father. And obviously the father never arrives because Marlon Brando decided last minute that he wasn't going to show mm. up uh, for, for a little uh, cameo. But it's that. And also, I don't know if you noticed, we get a really sweet couple of moments between Carrie and Logan where yes. she's literally leaning on his arm and is so clearly besotted with him like 
a Logan had game. Right. Even in his old age. And it's age. A weird, that might be the nicest we've ever seen Logan, right? It's so funny, this this kind of weird period that the siblings were not aware of and we were not aware of as an as an audience because this was when they were during the rift, right? During the rift uh, and their time away from their dad. And it's him with Connor and Kerry and then a few of the old guard and they're all they're all actually having what seems to be a really nice time together aren't they and they're like mm. singing songs and reciting limericks and all this kind of stuff and yeah it was a lovely little moment of humanity and again em- emphasizing this funny thing about Connor as the kind of goofy comedic one but also the oldest sibling and actually maybe the one that was personally closest to their dad out of all of them right you like i feel like you're getting that impression more and more this season especially since he's died that connor is the one that's kind of trying to help deal with the funeral arrangements and the apartment mm. and he was there for those kind of evenings with him and that kind of thing and uh yeah i just thought it was a really sweet lovely little moment especially when you see obviously our three sibs and their faces as they watch it as well right like it's a it's very mm. like raw moment as well yeah. yeah it's very gentle and actually just reminded me of something that jesse armstrong said at the event at the pre-episode interview he said there was something in the script that they cut out in one of the one of the episodes where it's connor remembering the best memory he had of his dad and it turned out at the end that that memory was actually a dream and it was just him and Logan and George Washington talking about America yeah, or politics okay. or something. <laughs> and there was, I think, you know, I don't think they were close at all, but I think Connor was the one who desperately tried to be closer through these sort of acts of service, you know, of organizing the events or handling the event organizers and, you know, handling the funeral and all this stuff because he, he never actually wanted that much from Logan except his, exactly. except to be liked. Yeah. And there's this devastating line a few episodes ago where he says, oh, he never, you know, Connor doesn't even get to speak to the phone when Logan is dying. And he says this horrible thing where, you know, it was something like he he, he never, never liked me. Or he never liked yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. That was sad. That was really sad. And it was lovely to see that little moment with Kerry. And also, did you notice there's that brilliant, like, really quick shot when they're divvying up all the stuff, they're reallocating. And it, he makes a reference to the second tier bereavers in the other room. And you yes. can just see, like, Kerry and a few other people in there in a separate room. So, so good. This, this episode had so many funny lines as well. In amongst all this really it tragic, did. volatile stuff, just had so many zing as well it was brilliant oh my god yeah between the special cheese and the creamy margins honestly it was unbelievable yeah harriet walter was brilliant in this episode as well i was glad we got more of her because like i felt like there wasn't enough of her in the funeral so she was great in this and i love this running thing of how she never has food in the fridge and she's bad at cooking and stuff this stuff is so funny and them talking about like the wartime pickle in the fridge and like the nobbies do you eat the ends of loaves of bread, Anna? Do you eat the uh, Do you eat the nobbies? Yeah, yeah. they're the best. I bit. like the nobbies the as well. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, honestly, yeah. Mike, I think this is a British thing. I did not know they were called nobbies. So I was like, what? And also, <laughs> no, what unhinged no, no. behavior is it to just freeze the nobbies? <laughs> For what? That's <laughs> so good. Also, I'm sorry, but like, you know, no disrespect to, you know, like Wonder Bread or whatever it's called. But like, you have all the fucking money in the world and you're buying like that bread. Yeah, I know. It's it's amazing. Like, I'm a, I'm a bit of a bread snob. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm like... Harry or Walter, or you know, Car- Lady Caroline. Yeah. 
seriously, seriously, you're going to buy that, like that bread and keep it frozen? Yeah, because you want to preserve all the beautiful taste it has? <laughs> it's just all the descriptions of her food. And she describes the portions as like hearty but modest, right? And then there's something <laughs> later and they say something like, oh, it, the fish is going to go all globby or something as well. And it's like... It's so oh, also in her thing about like the um, the face eggs, oh, about her hating eyes, hate eyes and not being able to take <laughs> able to take care of Roman's injuries because of yeah that. because of the face eggs amazing oh my so, god so good. that's very her yeah. I completely see that for her oh god well there you go I mean oh who else is there anyone else we really need to discuss because it's well we've discussed Matson. he's mm. a piece of shit we've discussed Connor discussed Greg rot in hell I hope we get run over by a fucking bus <laughs> uh, were you, uh, were you, what did you think of how little Jerry got to do in this finale like we barely saw well, her well it did makes we? sense yeah it does make sense doesn't mm. it you know she's got her thing well Jerry's back mm. so one thing we should talk about is Tom's immediate new um, court yes right but he's into like Carl dead Frank <laughs> yeah. dead Hugo fuck off where's Carolina yeah. Um, Jerry back in she's not afraid of the darkness we know this to be mm. true so like Jerry she's like the most beautiful cockroach in the world she will survive anything she will like make sure her interests are served she's probably already made a killing from Waster she's gonna make even more money mm. good for Jerry absolutely good for Jerry I'm so happy and, for and her and again like this is where Tom is savvy because absolutely if I was in Tom's shoes I'd want to have Jerry by my side side right mm-hmm. you absolutely want Jerry on your team um, I think it's hilarious how much all of them seem to hate Frank and Carl like they just despise them don't they like the Roy siblings hate them Tom hates them it's so funny but um, they even have a little line at the end don't they where they're like golden parachute or one last rodeo kind of thing like they're almost <laughs> tempted to stay in the game as well aren't they they're ready for the spin-off yeah. oh. and also you know we didn't even mention the swedes we didn't mention oscar and ebba who is like <laughs> Lucas. Yeah, i can't stop saying it like that so good <laughs> I know we do. But yeah, and obviously Greg spies on them with the little like translator from Swedish. And also there is this, we haven't actually discussed this a lot, but there is throughout this season in particular, there is the American versus European thing going Mm. on. And there's nothing more arrogant than someone, like in this case, the Swedes being like, we're just going to talk about really sensitive information about how we're conspiring against you, but we're going to talk about it in a language that you don't know because you're dumb Americans and you only know English and we're going to assume that technology doesn't exist that can translate it for (laughs) you. (laughs) So... I love everyone. It's so arrogant. Yeah, the absolute arrogance of those guys. God, I wouldn't want to be working for Oscar in Waystar Royco. Oscar's a psychopath. He's Yeah, he's terrifying as well. And Ebba should get the hell out of there, I think, as well. You know, go go, go do something. Go work for some better people, Ebba. <laughs> I think Ebba should align with Jerry. And Jerry's going to mm. tell her exactly how she should sue uh, Lucas. Because she's mm-hmm. got literal pints and pints of his blood. Same as Jerry has probably an entire hard drive full of pictures of Roman's dick. Yep, exactly. This is stuff that you need to keep. 
absolutely keep this stuff as ammunition. Um, Louisa says, I still believe Ebba played the Roys, which is interesting. It's very possible. Yeah. I also thought that's very possible, yeah, that she was pretending to be kind of all vulnerable and upset at that party mm-hmm. to give them enough information to give them a false sense of security and intel mm-hmm. when actually she's just always on, on you know on Gojo's side um, we quickly we should t- let me just hear your thoughts on some of these other characters people are mentioning in the in the comments that we haven't mentioned mm-hmm. yet Carolina what do you think of Carolina she gets like a few key lines in this episode doesn't she yeah smart. Carolina wants to end Hugo I support her he's a slime ball Hugo's definitely Absolutely. gonna go to prison for insider training um, <laughs> yes. and Carolina very quickly goes up to Shiv like oh you know we should eliminate the toxicity in this in organization let's start by taking Hugo out <laughs> Well, Hugo put all of his eggs into the Kendall basket, so he's fucked now, isn't he? Well, Hugo went up to Tom as soon as he walked into the room at COP, like, I was, you know, the losers never win. I'm so happy for you, (laughs) Hugo. (laughs) Sir? Such a slime ball, such a slime ball. (laughs) Fisher Stevens got a lot of airtime this season as well. He did. Perhaps, you know, arguably a bit too much. Yeah. You know. I would have said I I missed Carolina a little bit this season, actually, I've got to say. But um, what about Colin as well? Trishy's just mentioned Colin uh, because he is now. He's now Sad Kendall's like bodyguard, isn't he? Yeah. But what do you think about Colin? Because Colin's situation is like a really. Quite a fucked up one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's quite a unique one, isn't it? Because he yeah. he had so much personal access to everything in Logan's life. So he has arguably maybe more information than anyone else in this whole cast, probably, right? Um, like he knows about the manslaughter and he knows about everything else. And yeah, he's now... Presumably, maybe Kendall is just going to keep him on. But what... What is there going to be for Colin to do? He's just going to follow poor sad Kendall around. He's basically (laughs) on suicide watch for the rest of Kendall's life. But also Colin is the only one that knows, well, aside from the other sibs, about the manslaughter. So he's just going around with this huge secret and protecting the guy who he kind of, you know, thinks is an asshole. Yeah. And who is an asshole? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas actually you get the feeling, don't you, that he genuinely liked Logan, I think. Yes. You know. They were best pals. They were best pals. I know. Um, Now, of course, everyone's mentioning in the comments Mondale. Mondale, Anna. Justice for Mondale. We never really got a conclusion or any kind of resolution to the what has happened to Mondale. Is Mondale okay? (laughs) Thanks, Sean, for bringing up Mondale because where is he? We have not seen him. He's not taken care of. If Mondale has been hurt, I think Greg should be blamed. I think Greg should be put in jail (laughs) for animal cruelty. I will find a way to pin the death of Mondale the dog on Greg. Where is he? Honestly, Tom and Shiv should not, they should not own animals. They should not have um, kids because they do not know how to take care of anyone. (laughs) Barely themselves. Um, Tommy has said what about Jonathan what was his pitch what were Jonathan and uh, Peter Munyon <laughs> pitching what was it? it was only something about creamy margins <laughs> that was all I got creamy margins do you think it was so the, um, the the horrible um, jail like you know um, <laughs> retirement homes yes the living plus type things the, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, oh god Jesus. do you think maybe it was a cheese factory maybe it was maybe it was cheese yeah, yeah. either way i wish jonathan the best uh recovery from the siblings rudeness so funny i love that when they 
left and um, he was like, well, that was a waste of time. (laughs) (laughs) Again, so selfish. Like Caroline basically just wanted them there for selfish reasons, not actually anything to do with having a nice time with the family or helping Roman or anything. It's so funny. Yeah. No, obviously not. Like she could have at least like bought a something Mm. to eat if Mm -hmm. she wanted them there to have a nice time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, well, dear. there we go. Oh, I mean, wow. I guess, like, maybe we should talk about how did you find the end? You know, like, these final moments of succession. You know, we're, we we get a glimpse of... I suppose we've already talked about a bit of it. We get a glimpse of Roman at the bar with his kind of slightly enigmatic smile. We get Shiv and Tom and their awkward handhold. And then we get Sad Ken, don't we? Uh, yeah. Looking out and- onto some water, as always, with Kendall, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's there's the whole thing about uh, Kendall and water. And there's a brilliant article in Vulture, I think, about the symbolism and, and of his relationship with, with water. I definitely encourage everyone to read. But there is, we, we only briefly touched upon the, um, the hand thing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mentioned it at the start. I think it's really beautiful and really conclusive that we end the series at the end of the succession. Roman signs away the company. He takes the obligatory picture. He can barely contain his hatred of having to be in the same room as Matson, even for a millisecond. Yep. And then, then it's done. We just get this one shot of each of them. Kendall staring off into the distance. Um, Roman having a martini and, a, and having a, a smile to himself. And Shiv doing the thing that Tom instructed her to do, to meet him in the car in 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. and his open hand kind of Mm -hmm. offering her that real relationship that she had asked for earlier in the episode. Mm -hmm. But at this point, she's, she accepts it, but she doesn't accept it. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think she's in a position to accept it or to deny it, because now, as I mentioned before, kind of the power dynamic has shifted. So now they're there. They've they have assumed that they are stuck with one another mm-hmm. in this new position. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, again, I didn't get the feeling that these two are going to live happily ever after, to be honest. Let's <laughs> let's face it. Like, it didn't feel like a moment of reconciliation to me, to be honest. It didn't really feel like anything mm. beyond, yeah. It's probably easier for us if we just stick together now, even though mm. we're not really sure we actually like each other in any way. Like, that's sort of how it feels to me. Although you're right, you know, maybe Shiv is actually maybe falling for Tom more than she ever has done. But I don't know mm. if Tom feels that way anymore, does he? It's weird because... And now Tom has the power. He doesn't sort of need her anymore as well. That's the other thing. No. Yeah. Although I guess, you know, like I, like I said before, she's now the voice in his ear. Yeah. So he'll he'll mine her advice, mm-hmm. but she's no longer the powerful one in that equation. Mm-hmm. Where do you see these sibs being in your future headcanon? You know, do you think oh, they'll God. ever? Would they ever reconcile their differences after that bust up in that boardroom? Will Shiv? You know will Shiv and Kendall be friends again? Do you think? We might need to do like a whole separate bonus episode about the alternative timeline of yeah. Shiv, Kendall, and Roman because I have thoughts, but. There is, I do genuinely think that after the events of the season, they their bond with each other is very true and very strong. Yes. And now that they have gotten rid of this um, this massive beast of Waystar, it's in a way, in a way, selling Waystar is actually 
putting to bed, actually burying their dad. Yeah. More so than the funeral. Yeah. Because the big company that he built, that is him. That is Mm. so aligned and intertwined with who he was and everything he did, Mm -hmm. both great and terrible. Now it's finally gone. It's out of their hands. They don't have to deal with it anymore. They are finally free. Well, Shiv is kind of not because she's Mm. still tied to Waystar by marriage. Mm -hmm. But they don't have a say anymore. They don't have any stakes in the company anymore. And that is liberating but in a really scary way and presumably they're all a few billion dollars up now as well oh yeah well that's are they that. gonna that's buy that. they're also are they gonna buy pierce together probably not right i'm, I don't <laughs> I'm think assuming so. that's not no. gonna happen but uh, uh i what i imagine is what i imagine it would be is that roman would somehow be the one to bring the three of them together again at some point you know what i mean i feel like it would be down to him probably not kendall or shiv in making that first move in reconciling their differences, you know? I agree. Yeah. And also, frankly, I hope that Roman invests at least half a billion of that money into therapy. Therapy every day for yeah. baby girl Roman, uh, just yes. constantly. Very much so. I think that's needed. They could all do with some therapy, to be honest. Let's be honest. Oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. But Roman seems to be the one who is, like, most open, potentially, to getting therapy. Definitely, definitely. So there you go. I mean, we usually finish these podcast episodes as well with talking about kind of winners, MVPs. Is there an MVP of this episode? Is there an MVP of the whole show? I don't know. What do we think? I guess it's Tom Wamscams. Tom Wamscams. Yeah. (laughs) Who saw that coming, right? (laughs) The only other one is also, we haven't mentioned him, Stewpot. Stewpot. Stewie. Yeah. Yeah. Who is also a bit slimy and he loves to change sides every two minutes as well, doesn't he? But, you know. Yeah, but we always knew yeah. that. It was telegraphed. Also, oh my God, Michael. When, sorry, I called you by your full name. I never I do that. <laughs> uh, when he came into the room at the board meeting, the audience in the entire auditorium just went, whoa. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, the thirst for Stewie is very real and he was looking very good. So everybody was like, there was like a shift in everybody's seats where they were like, oh, he's he's wearing the polo shirt, like buttoned up to the very top. Okay, Stewie. And also, uh, you know, he likes kissing men on Molly. So good for bisexual king Stewie. Yeah, love him. Love him. Um, the question of who is the saddest at the end of this episode, again, probably quite an obvious one. <laughs> the saddest. It's Mondale. The, yeah, oh, it's Mondale. Uh, <laughs> sad, possibly a contender for the saddest television character that has ever existed. Kendall mm. Roy, I think, right? Truly. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. Do you, know, do you know what I'm actually genuinely really happy for? Mm. I'm so happy for Jeremy Strong. Oh, he yeah. is free. He's free. He's, he's free of Kendall Roy. Here's a question, and I don't know whether anyone's written about this yet or not, but do we think that smoothie was real and did Jeremy Strong really drink it? The meal fit for I think a king it did. that had Sarah yeah. Snook spit in it and it had eggs and eggshells and Tabasco and all that other stuff. Listen, Mike, who wouldn't drink Sarah Snook's spit? I mean, 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for real. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, no, I think I think I read an article that, you know, because he's all method and stuff, it was real. I was going to say, he did drink it. I bet yeah. he did. I was thinking as I was watching that scene, I was like, I bet Jeremy Strong <laughs> insisted that he drinks whatever is in that thing. So, There's yeah. also a video circulating online of both um, Kieran Culkin and Sarah Snook kind of taking turns at shaving his head. I think on the last day of mm-hmm. shooting, he, you know, I guess like has a symbolic shedding of Kendall. And um, yeah, he kind of shave, they shave his head. Oh, I love that! I love that. Oh, everyone's saying in the comments, it definitely he definitely did drink it. Yeah, we knew it. There you go. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, Joe Bud says, "Did you notice Jerry Horn from Twin Peaks at the board meeting?" I did not notice Jerry from Twin Peaks. I did not amazing. notice that. Gonna have to rewatch that. Love it. Yeah. Um, well, there you go. And then again, we've mentioned so many Anna, but favorite quotes, favorite lines, anything that that. Uh, that we haven't mentioned yet. <laughs> I think my favorite, it's from the scene in the kitchen with the siblings when they're all cackling and laughing and Kendall says to Roman, don't go down on Peter's special cheese. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so it. good. That whole cheese sequence was just phenomenal. It's so funny. It's so just effortlessly funny and so low stakes. It was just a real respite in a very, very intense episode. It almost felt, that kitchen scene almost felt like they were just kind of improving as well, you know? Like that they yes. almost just let yeah. the actors run with it, you know? Like uh, it was, yeah, so, so good. I liked um, Shiv at the beginning saying, Rome might not even show up from whatever jerk dungeon he's being pity spanked in. That was good. That was good. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> and also, when uh, a highlight was when Tom was like, "You f- to Shiv, you've fallen in love finally. You've fallen in love with your with our scheduling opportunities." That is good. Oh, Tom. I mean, again, like it's so hard. It, it's going to be so hard to predict which of these cast members is going to win awards, right? Because all of them deserve them all of them and like we've talked about Kieran Culkin and those how good those three sibs are but also Matthew McFadden from beginning to end in this show has just been like exquisite yeah. as well hasn't he so good I mean I guess the difficulty will be because of I think Sarah Snook is definitely going to win but also she's the kind of the only female lead in the show so it's kind of just all on her but with the rest of them like between um, Jeremy Strong and Kieran Culkin and Matthew McFadden and even Alexander Skarsgård, you know, mm. they're kind of competing against each other. So maybe we'll see yeah. some Emmy nominations or Golden Globes nominations where either they do a little bit of, you know, separating them, divvying them up between categories, yes. or it's just going to be like everyone from Succession is nominated. Yes, I think it could go either way, couldn't it? I, I, I imagine they would put you know, maybe even Brian Cox, right, could get a supporting nom for this season. Mm. Definitely uh, Matthew McFadden. It's whether or not they would put Jeremy Strong and Kieran Culkin in a lead actor category together, I wonder. Because that's well, like I hope hard. they Yeah. Yeah, I hope they find a way to do that so they can both win. Yeah, they need to both win, right? This is... Otherwise, they'll end up fighting each other in a backstage room. You know, this is what happens. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, other than that, I, I think we've mentioned all of the other just incredible lines, like hilarious lines, but also devastating lines, mm-hmm. powerful lines. You know, that whole Kendall breakdown just every line of that whole sequence is just incredible I think you know I'm the I oldest son and all of that and stuff and she was like but no you're not no. you're literally not <laughs> it is going to be I don't think it's fully settled for me that this is the last episode ever that we're not going to get more succession mm, I know 
I know. And I, I was going to ask this question, but I almost feel like we need to let it sit with us for a bit longer before I ask this. But like, you know, do you see this episode in the canon of great TV endings? Like, is this going to be there alongside the end of The Sopranos, The Wire, Six Feet Under, you know, those sorts of phenomenal TV endings? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I really do. Yeah. And do you know what? I was listening to another podcast and they made this point that... The thing that makes Succession kind of special amongst kind of, you know, the 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 pantheon of pr- great prestige television, mm. you know, no one's disputing the quality of The Sopranos, of Mad Men, of Breaking Bad, The Wire, you know, all this, these great shows. Succession is so rewatchable mm. i've watched i've i've watched all those shows mm-hmm. once yeah i re- i appreciate them i've watched succession maybe four times over and i could do, and i could start rewatching it tomorrow and enjoy it and find new stuff it is it's probably one of the the rare prestige tv shows that is unbelievably rewatchable mm. and i think that kind of lends it a particular special place in that pantheon, but also in audiences. <laughs> Sounds a bit corny, but it kind of in audiences' minds and in their hearts, where yeah. it's like you get really used to and appreciative of the show, all the jokes in the background, all the supporting characters, all the yeah. kind of uh, pop-in, you know, tertiary characters that come in, because you just watch it so often mm-hmm. that you're just more, you're more at home with it. Totally, yeah. I completely agree with you. It is so rewatchable. Even doing this for this podcast and watching basically every episode about three times mm. every week before mm. we podcast about it is not a chore, right? Because you're right, no. it is. so, And also because it's so dense. Every episode is so dense that every time I watch it, there will be something new to notice or to mm-hmm. figure out or you read a line of dialogue slightly differently each time you hear it as well, you know? And yeah, it is... What an incredible... I mean, it, the writing is just out of this world, really, isn't it? It's so, just so good. Just spectacular. Yeah. 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 I'm really going to miss... Uh, I'm really going to miss Succession. And I'm really going to miss doing this show. This has been such a highlight oh. of watching it and then knowing that we're gonna like have our discussion and have our our little inside jokes as well it's been a real it's been a real joy dude it's been the best hasn't it i'm so glad that like you know about a year ago you text me being like we're gonna do this we're gonna call it the succession easters and i was like yes (laughs) and i was so glad that we we managed to make it happen it's been yeah it's been amazing and like it has it's been like very therapeutic being able to talk in depth about all of these fucked up characters week on week with you it's been amazing yeah totally totally So, um, Anna, that's it. I'm sure it won't be long before me and you are doing some other podcast together about a movie or a franchise or something horror-related or something TV-related. So I'm sure we'll be back. But until then, um, let people know where they can find you and more of your stuff online. So you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Anna B. Demented. You can also pre-order my book, Unlikable Female Characters, The Woman Pop Culture Wants You to Hate, which has a ton of Siobhan Roy in there and other mm. fictional women that are detestable and compelling in equal parts. You can also listen to my horror film history podcast, The Final Girls, and a whole bunch of other horror podcasts that Mike and I have done together. And I think that's me. And where can people list, find more of your work online, Mike? Uh, yeah, you can find me, all the stuff that me and Anna do together, you can find if you just follow us on the socials. I'm on Twitter at the Movie Mike, uh, and you can also follow my podcast, uh, The Evolution of Horror, wherever you get your podcasts. 
And that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much for listening to this entire series of The Succession Easters. The Succession Easters! (laughs) Beautiful. Fuck off.